Let's start with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we, we gather together tonight once again in the presence of your Holy Spirit to learn from your word that which will fit us for your service, both our head and our heart. I pray you would open up our eyes, our ears, our spiritual comprehensions, that tonight we might discern what the Spirit has for us in this place, in this hour. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Last week, as Brad was taking us through the prayer and fasting, I'm going, okay, I've got that scripture, and okay, I've got that scripture, and okay, I've got that scripture. And you know, that's okay. Because this, it all ties together. And just to kind of give us a running start into where I want to go tonight, I wrote these first scriptures out for you, and I want you to just let them sink into your heart as we read them together. And uh, Nancy, I want you to read the first one, and then everybody, let's read them until they're read. Come on, get ready there, girl, on your paper. Nancy, all you have to read, Nancy. I might have made a mistake. Boy, you know, my mother prayed for women like that in church. She prayed that God would keep me humble. And that's how we, that's how we do it. Well, good for you. Okay, everybody, after Nancy reads, I just want to, let's read this list. However, unless you don't trust the pastor. Trust but verify, right? Okay, go. Okay, are there some words that kind of kept jumping off of those passages? Yeah. Alone. Alone. And? Secluded. Secluded. Times of solitude, times of seclusion, times for prayer. And the seeking out of a solitary place was a regular practice for Jesus. And I've often wondered and contemplated If the Son of God, for his ministry, needed times of solitude and silence alone, why are we not more ambitious in that pursuit? Time alone with God. That thought scares some of you. You know, one of my friends over the years has been John Michael Talbot. I knew John when he was, before he was a Franciscan, and then he became a Franciscan monk and opened a hermitage at a little portion at Eureka Springs, Arkansas, where I have gone and spent times in seclusion, you know, there. And I remember John talking to me one time and talking about in silence and seclusion and aloneness, often we find out more about ourselves than we do about God. It's in those places that God speaks to our hearts. And what we're talking about here, this regular practice in the life of our Savior, is a time to be alone with God. Alone means you and God. Okay? A time free from the distractions of this world. That means it has to be deliberate. A time free of the noises of this world. We live in a very noisy world. I don't know if you have noticed that. A lot of noisemakers out there. In Dietrich Bonhoeffer's version of The One Another Project, a book titled Life Together, 
There are two chapters in there that intrigue me, and one is titled, The Day Together, and that's what we have done today. We've come together this morning with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We've come again together tonight, and we have gathered together in a corporate life. We've stepped away from the hurry and scurry and bustle of the world, and we've come today and we've worshiped, we've sang, we've prayed, we've, we've sat under the ministry of God's Word. A day together. But that chapter is followed by another chapter called A Day Alone. And here's what he says, and this is written on your, on your paper, but what he's letting us know is both are essential for spiritual success. Bonhoeffer writes, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. And let him who is not in community beware of being alone. <laughs> That's a very powerful statement. A beware statement. You know, if let him who cannot be alone beware of community. If the only relationship you have with the Lord Jesus Christ is in the community part of it, he wants more than that. And he says, then let him who is not in community beware of being alone. You notice there's a balance here. And the one thing I have found over my 43 years of preaching is that the Bible is a very balanced book. And though Jesus spent hours by himself alone, he did not cloister himself. He did not separate himself from the world. In fact, more times than not, he goes from the mountaintop back into the demon-possessed valley. He's alone. He's with his father. He's getting his marching orders. He's in fellowship, whatever it was they did in those times together. But he did not stay there on the mountain. And as Brad talked about last week, wait for the disciples to come to him to re receive their words of wisdom from him. No, he waded right back into the thing. He waded right back into life and in real life. And that's the balance that is supposed to be in our lives. Solitude and silence. They are meant for contemplation and listening. Contemplation of the truths of God and listening for his still small voice. John Edmund Haggai said one time that he remembers getting up early in the morning and when he got up, his father was always in the living room praying and with his Bible open in his lap. And he said he would be there many times for hours at a time. And he once asked his father, he says, how can you pray for that long? And he said, I don't do all the talking. <laughs> you see, prayer and times of solitude, it's a two-way street. It's a speaking, but then it's a stopping to listen. And people say, well, I've never heard God speak. Have you dropped anchor long enough? Have you dropped anchor long enough to hear the still, small voice? Remember with Elijah, God wasn't in the thunder. He wasn't in the earthquake and he wasn't in the fire. He was in the still, small voice. One of the things about the Bible that's very clear, when God created the world, he created certain rhythms within that world. What are some of the rhythms? Seasons. Seasons. Pardon? Frequency. Frequency, okay. Day, night, weeks, months, tides. There are, there are rhythms. And before modern times, a person's schedule and activities were regulated by what? Daylight. They were regulated by daylight. When the sun went down, except for some maybe reading by a fire or a candlelight, life ground to a halt, giving people a real time to rest and a real time to think. King David wrote about his meditations during the night watches many times in the Psalms. But today, the sun goes down, the lights come on, enable us to work and play 
24 hours a day. And along with the lights comes the noise. Radio, stereo, television, iPad, iPod, etc. And more times than not, and we won't ask for a show of hands. There's even playing in the background something when we're paying no attention to it at all. But it's just noise. <laughs> and Jim's hiding his head over here. So afraid are we of the quiet. One of my favorite writers, Thomas Akempis, and this is on your sheet of paper there. And Dick, would you read that for us? No, okay, you'll pass. Brody? Make time to attend to your inner life and frequently think over the benefits God has given you. Abandon the matters that you find so fascinating. Give up unnecessary conversation, idle walking about, and listening to news and talk. If you will do so, you will find plenty of time to devote to good <laughs> you know what's so funny here do you see when this was written and he talks about listening to news and idle talk uh, <laughs> you know Fox Network wasn't on yet CNN wasn't on yet and all of the other noises weren't on yet but look at that take it apart piece by piece make time to attend to your inner life and you see, I dare say that probably within the last 48 hours, no one in here has skipped a meal. And probably before you came to church today, you know, I know some of you probably bathed and shaved and brushed your teeth and, you know, put on some clothes that aren't your, you know, ratty old clothes that you work on the car with. You made some preparation to tend to the outer man. He's talking here about attending to your inter, inner life. Think over the benefits that God has given you. Uh, one of my good friends over the years, he passed away many years ago, his name was Leonard Ravenhill. He was an old English evangelist that during World War II, uh, was a street evangelist and literally traffic jamming crowds during World War II would stop to listen to Leonard preach. One of Leonard's best friends was another man who has a lot to do with the Christian Missionary Alliance, A.W. Tozer. And when Tozer was pastoring the Southside Church in Chicago, and Leonard at that time was living in Minneapolis, he was in Tozer's office one day and, and he looked over and he saw something rolled up by the, by the window and he he asked him what it was, and Tozer said, well, that's my prayer rug. He says, your prayer rug? Well, tell me about it. He says, well, I bought it at the dime store, gave a quarter or so for it. He says, there's times I come to my office, and I know that I just need to be alone with God. So I'll call my secretary, say, you have the rest of the day off, lock the door, and go. He says, then I throw out the rug, and I lay down on my belly on that rug. And I lay in the presence of God. And he says, I do not pray, I do not praise, I worship. I take an attribute of God and just run it over and over and over. I don't know if you've read Tozer's The Attributes of God, but uh, they're chapter after chapter after chapter. And he said, I just lay in his presence and I worship. And I contemplate the benefits God. No wonder that Tozer, a man whose formal education was eighth grade, wrote us stuff that just boggles the mind because he spent time in solitude before God. Abandon the matters you find so fascinating. Give up unnecessary conversation. Oh man. Idle walking about, listening to news and talk. If you will do so, you will find Plenty of time to devote to a good meditation. You know, I'll talk to people about this, and literally over the last 43 years as I've pastored, people say, well, pastor, I don't have time. And I try to be nice. <laughs> but I look in their life and I see the things that they have time for. And come hell or high water, excuse my language, those things they will make time for. 
And he says, here, if you take some of the unnecessary out of your life, you're going to have plenty of time for this. That's why they're called spiritual disciplines. Isn't that it, Brad? Discipline. Psalm 46.10, the psalmist says, Be still and know that I am God. Quiet it down. If you've ever been out on the oil fields, if you've ever been around big motors, um, I love these little motors. They're called hit-and-miss motors. They were old antique engines that used to run farm equipment and they have a big flywheel on them and when they turn over they do not fire every time they go over there they hit and miss they go pop pop but they get enough momentum on that flywheel the flywheel will freewheel for some time and then pop pop and when you're out on the oil fields the same way you've got that same rhythm they've got weighted flywheels that that do most of the work and they just need a little nudge every once in a while Well, I find in my life that my life is like a moving flywheel. And you can say, okay, Wayne, you can have some time off. But it takes days for the flywheel to come to a stop. You can ask the lady that's sitting right here. that has been at my side for 49 years. When we began our sabbatical leave on April 1st, Until we were in the car and on the road on April 15th, I was coming apart at the seams. The flywheels slowing down. And so don't think that this is just something you step into from busyness. It's something you discipline yourself into. Turn with me to Psalm 131. I love this psalm. And there is something that is so easy. It's one of the Psalms of Ascent. And I have preached a couple times over the years here at the church through the Psalms of Ascent. Again, the Psalms of of Ascent were the songs that the pilgrims heading up to Jerusalem for the various feast days would sing these by rote and in unison as they traveled. And uh, anybody want to read? Got a reader? You will? Okay, Karen. 131, the whole psalm, the whole three verses. Okay, let's listen to verse 2 again. Once more, Karen. But I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child in its mother, like a weaned child in my soul within me. Why in the world would the psalmist say, I've quieted my soul like a weaned child? Not just a child, but like a weaned child. Some of you have heard me preach on this, so, but I, I want some answers. Why a weaned child? Okay. Anything else that might come to mind? Okay. You know, a child who has not yet been weaned, I'm sorry to say this, all you mothers and mothers-to-be, probably more mothers and behind motherhood behind us that little baby sees you as lunch (laughs) let's just say it like it is so much so that when that baby is so dependent on the breast that you can hand said child to another woman and when that child feels the breast of that other woman against its cheek is that not true Come on. You're not going to get the same reaction when you hand that child to a man. (laughs) But the weaned child lays in the mother's arms without any other intentions than to lay in the mother's arms. There's rest there. The weaned child quiets itself 
And it's just enough and good to be there. There's no more struggling. There's no more looking for the breast other than to pillow its head. And times of solitude and contemplation are not times where we come in and we drag in the shopping list. They are times to lay our head against the Father's breast and to rest there. And so, before we turn the corner to service, when was the last time you quieted your soul and took time to lay your head against the Heavenly Father's breast in stillness and in silence? I'm telling you, especially in our day and age, it must be deliberate. You have to deliberately shut out the distractions. My poor wife, living with me for these last years, uh, when I'm getting ready to preach on Sunday, I can be very easily distracted. And over the last 43 years, we have had little or no social life on Saturday. <laughs> we have not planned outings. We have not planned to be with people. I need the day to quiet my heart. And I'll share a little bit more of that with you. But I, I, need, I need that space. I've got, I have to guard uh, what I watch on television. I have to guard what I listen to. I just have to guard the conversations that I get sucked into. Because, well, like I said, we're going to get into that just a little bit more. But I desperately need that solitude. Yesterday, Sandy was busy candy dancing down in Genoa. <laughs> Have any of you ever been to the candy dance? You know, Genoa is an interesting place, the oldest Mormon settlement in the, in the state of Nevada. But they raise all of their funds to run the city, all of their municipal funds. They raise it one weekend a year at what they call the candy dance. It's, they make candy. They make cookies. They do crafts. And all the money that's raised on that weekend, wouldn't that be great for the city of Truckee, Brad? I mean, their whole municipal budget is raised at the candy dance. And Sandy, Sandy was there yesterday. And I got in my car and I dropped the top. And I just went out and circled the Sierra Valley. In the quiet, just the wind the beauty around me, and it was there that the flywheel began to slow down that I might proclaim God's word this morning and again tonight. But it has to come for me anyway out of a time and a place of silence. And I invite you to come to the quiet and find it there for yourself. We're going to shift gears here just a little bit in one way, but we're not going to shift gears. We're going to talk about service. I know that most of you in here, some of you are going to remember this. I know Dick's old enough to remember it. I think. <laughs> you know, we hear the word service and it, it sounds too much like work. Uh, there was a show back in the late 50s called Dobie Gillis. And there was a beatnik on there, Bob Denver, who became Gilligan. And when somebody would say the word, remember? Work. 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 And, and I think that we as Christians sometimes see it as work too. And yet service is one of the spiritual disciplines. It's a place that we give back unto the Lord and his church and his people. But I want to start off with a very familiar story out of Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Would somebody over at this table like to read? Over here at the far reaches of the kingdom? Luke, Karen, Luke 10, 38 through 42.
I don't know what you feel when you read this story. But I, for one, believe that for too long, Martha has gotten a bum rap. Mary is the good girl sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha's the loser. That's not what I see in this story. What I see here are two sides of a coin that we call the Christian life. And we're going to call one side of it being. And that is our time with the master. Being in his presence. Being at his feet. Being where he is. The other side of the coin is doing. It's rising from our being and stepping out to do. And here we see those two sides. And we all, just like Mary, need time at our Savior's feet. That's what we were talking about, the solitude. But there's a time that we need to be willing to hear His voice calling us to action and rising to our doing from our being. I want to hand out something. I didn't hand it out at first because I know how you all are. You would have read it before we got to this part. <laughs> and so, Brody, would you hand these out for me, please? Okay. I first was presented with this. As many of you know, uh, on 9 11, 2001, I was in uh, Juneau, Alaska, and then got stuck there for the next week. And I had taken a book along with me just to fill some time if I had any spare time. Well, I ended up with spare time. And it was Eugene Peterson, who's one of my favorite Christian authors, his book, Working the Angles. And he brought this whole concept up that I want to share with you right now. Okay, listen. Listen and follow along. And, I, and this part, this was written by Steve Goodier, and it's called The Power of Solitude, and then we'll tie it in with the service. Herman Melville's classic Moby Dick portrays the whaling industry of his time. A scene in the story can teach us, even today, something about the power of solitude and focus in daily life. Melville gives us a turbulent scene in which a whaleboat scuds across the frothing ocean in pursuit of the great white whale. The sailors are laboring to keep the vessel on course in a raging sea, every muscle taut. They labor furiously as they concentrate on the task at hand. In Captain Ahab's boat, however, there is one man who does nothing. He doesn't hold an oar, he doesn't perspire. He doesn't shout, he is languid, utterly relaxed, quiet and poised. This man is the harpooner, and his job is to patiently wait for the moment. Then Melville gives us this sentence, to ensure the greatest efficiency in the dart, the harpooners of this world must start to their feet out of idleness, not out of toil. What a marvelous picture for effective living. Those who would live each day to the fullest must prepare for them from a state of idleness rather than toil. For many, this means a daily period of quiet and meditation to pray, to focus, to plan. Some might complain, I don't have time for that. My life is simply too busy to add one more thing to it. But among those who make time for regular periods of solitude to chart the day's course, still the mind, listen and prepare, find that it actually creates more time than it takes. For we are most effective when we start to our feet out of idleness, not toil. 
I think it's much the same with Christian service. If our doing doesn't flow from our being, then our doing has a great chance of just being dead works. We might have activity, but the question is, will we ever hit the target? We are masters of activity. If we would tell the truth, there's a lot more Martha in each one of us than there is Mary. We are pros of the hurry and scurry. But does our activity provide what Jesus called fruit that abides? How would you describe fruit that abides, Brad? Yeah, in the spiritual sense. Much of what we end up doing sometimes is a flash in the pan for a moment. And there's not much abiding. You know, fruit that abides, for me, the fact that I read every morning Oswald Chambers, a man who died in 1917. He really died that long? Yeah. 43 years old, died of an appendicitis attack in Zitan, Egypt. Is still speaking to us today. That millions of people are still reading Spurgeon's morning and evening devotions 150, 175 years after Spurgeon died. Pardon? Yeah, yep. That's, that, that in my mind is fruit that abides. That, but they, I believe that they too, from when I read them, rose to their activity from a place of stillness. They started as Mary at the Savior's feet and at the Savior's bidding rose and became Martha's. I love the story of the harpooner. I love that story. Activity. Oh. Sometimes we have a lot of activity, but little fruit is born because the activity doesn't stem for us as individuals or even for us as a church sometimes. You know, churches can be doing all sorts of good stuff, but it may not be God's stuff. It may not be the thing that God would have them to be doing to impact their community, to affect their community. You know, here in a couple weeks, the elders will cloister themselves away for a couple days of prayer, time together, to plan. And though we've done that every year for many, many, many years, and it's a necessary time, or else we'll just do church stuff. And in my 28 years here, I haven't wanted to be about church stuff. I want to be about God stuff. But to be about God stuff, you've got to be about Mary stuff. And then rise to the Martha stuff from Mary's posture. And like the harpooner, in the midst of all the hustle and bustle and scurry and shouting and splashing, there's one person that rises to his task out of a place of calm. And he's completely focused. focused. That's right. He's completely focused. And then we begin to do the works of him. And produce fruit that's going to not just be a flash in the pan for tonight or tomorrow or for a week, but that will affect this community for generations to come. That's what we're looking for. Not just momentary victories, but victories that move us into the future and hope for that future. There's one other aspect that I want to share with you about service that is found in, and boy, Brad just, Brad almost walked into this. He just tiptoed around it last week. So I'm going to wade us into it. And it's found in John chapter 4. And that aspect 
that comes from Christian service is vitality. The story, Jesus is traveling with his disciples between Galilee and Jerusalem. They stop in the city of Sychar, which is a Samaritan city, and they stop, and the Samaritans and the Jews have nothing to do with each other. It was the Samaritans became a race as the northern kingdom when the Babylonian captivity was going on. They intermarried with the Babylonians, and so they are the Jews' half-breed cousins. They worship at a different mountain. They worship in a different way. And they are no relative of mine. But Jesus' journeys take him there, and they stop at Sychar. They stop at the well that was Jacob's well, being hot and tired and hungry. Jesus says, hey guys, this is paraphrase. I'm, I'm just sitting down here. The guys head into town to Burger King or wherever to grab some lunch. In the meantime, in fact, let's, let's read it here. Um, would somebody read John 4, 6? Okay. What is Jesus' condition? He's weary. He's tired from the journey. All of these things. But I ne- we need to see this. Jesus is weary and tired from the journey. He sits at the well. A woman from Samaria comes out. He strikes up a discourse with her about water. Tells her about living water. Relates to her her own lifestyle. And this woman, so taken by it all, jumps up from the well, runs into town and tells the town people, there's a man here that has told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? In the interim, his disciples return with lunch. And would somebody read 31 and 32? And then the discourse becomes, who brought him something to eat? And here's what Jesus says, verse 34. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Something happened here between wearied Jesus and now. He began to minister to a, a woman And in that ministry found a vitality that when it did come time to eat, that was the last thing on his mind. This is amazing. It was the last thing on his mind. And you know, the lady's coming back out. There's going to be some ministry going on here. All the disciples can see is, who brought him something to eat? And Jesus says, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me. As I said, all too many Christians look at Christian service as though it were work. And yet I have heard the countless testimonies over the years who by by those people who skeptically stepped in, stepped up to the plate and began to serve and come to me and say, why didn't anybody tell me about the vitality that they found in the service, and that they ended up being more blessed than they blessed. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. But first of all, there has to be the willingness to step up to the plate, to get our hands dirty, to roll up our sleeves, and to serve in those places that God would open the door for us to serve. You see... For a lake to remain fresh, what does it need? A spring. Come on. 
Keep coming. Inlet and outlet. Give the lady a gold star. All the way from Hemet, California tonight. Where we don't have water. <laughs> Where there is no water. <laughs> the only way a lake stays fresh is it has an inlet and an outlet. If you go 500 miles to the east here, you'll see it played out. There's a great big body of water called the Great Salt Lake. It has inlets, it has no outlets, and as a result, there's not much life in that lake. A little, few brine shrimp survive, and Morton Salt has their big factory on the South Shore. And I dare say that as Christians, we too get stagnant and stale and salty if we just keep taking in and taking in and taking in and taking in but give nothing out. Years ago, I had a woman come into my office when we lived in Moab and she was just gushing with willingness to serve Jesus. Pastor, I just, I just need to be doing something. I, here I am, lock, stock, and barrel. And then she said, I'll even clean toilets for Jesus. And I says, well, you know, I prayed with her, and we keep this in mind. It so happened that within the next couple of days, one of my friends who pastored another church in town had a funeral service scheduled at their church, and it was in the middle of the winter, and their furnace quit working. And so he called me and he says, can we use your facility for this service? And I said, sure. And then I hung up the phone and I realized nothing had been touched since Sunday. We needed to do some cleaning up. And guess what I remembered? I remembered the lady. And I, so I called her and I said, I told her what was going on. And I said, you know, the one thing that needs to happen here today is we need to get the restrooms clean before anybody comes. And there was just this silence on the other end of the phone. And then she said, well, pastor, that's not really my calling. That was a quick season. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, for that day, it was her calling. It was her calling. And the last that I knew of her, she was still looking for her calling. But it was up here. Didn't start in at the entry yeah. And you see, the one thing I have found out in my years of serving the Lord is I got to start out in the basement. And my first ministry position was youth pastor slash janitor. And I got a Bible in this hand, and I got a toilet brush in this hand. And I believe to this very day I would not be where I am if I had turned my nose up at the toilet brush. Because I'll tell you what, brothers and sisters, I probably learned more with the toilet brush in my hand and cleaning the toilets and the bathrooms and the, the, the rooms which the saints gathered to worship than I did out of this book in those first few years. And then God says, if you will be faithful with that which is in your hand, I will add to it. And many times Christians get locked in this place because they've got this sense of calling and they know they need to be serving, but the first place a door opens up for them to serve is beneath them. And they end up robbing themselves and robbing the body of Christ from the gifts that are resident within them that God would release. When people went and joined Last Day's Ministries, Keith Green's ministry in Lindale, Texas, I was there with him one day when a young man came and joined the ministry and he had been a pastor in uh, New Orleans. 
And he came through the door and he started laying his pedigree out. I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. And Keith said, swell. That's great. And then he sent him to the barn to muck out some cow stalls and horse stalls. And that's where he began his journey at Last Days Ministries. And everybody in that ministry began their journey there. And there were people that he called in to be the pilot to fly his plane and fly him around. There were other people that came in that were architects. One of our good friends was an architect that he called in to design some ministry buildings for him. They all started in the stable. And if the attitude was right, they weren't in the stable very long. But if the attitude was wrong, they weren't at last days very long. It was an incredible weeding process that identified the call of the master. One of my heroes of the faith is a man named Samuel Logan Brengel. He was the first commissioner of the Salvation Army. Brengel was raised in Detroit, Michigan. He was, he was destined to look like for a life of politics. And then God called him to the ministry. He was, if he would have taken it, he could have been a pastor of one of the largest churches in Detroit that was built by the Studebaker family. And then he had something happen and he fell in love with a Salvation Army lass. And the Salvation Army doesn't allow people to marry outside of the army or outside of its ranks. So he had to become a member. And he got to looking at these ragtag people, you know, on the street corners and doing whatever they did. And of course he was elite and refined and educated of course they could use him so he made the journey to london to meet the general william booth and he went into william booth's office and he laid his pedigree out before him and general booth said i have the perfect place for you <laughs> and he sent him to the basement of the headquarters to shine and polish the boots of the salvation army officers and for six months, Samuel Logan Brengel shined the boots for the officers. Not willingly, but one day as he was just fuming and steaming, he had a vision in that basement of Jesus kneeling and washing the disciples' feet. And it was then that Brengel said, Lord, if your call on my life is to polish the boots for the Salvation Army members for the rest of my life, so be it. Here's my life. He was there for another six months. But then he was drawn out in ministry and he became the first commissioner of the Salvation Army. He was basically their worldwide traveling evangelist. He wrote, he spoke, he, just an incredible man. Samuel Logan Brengel, look him up. He's, he's incredible. But he started that place. And service for us, brothers and sisters, is that vital outlet that keeps fresh that which is flowing in in the inlet. But don't be surprised if it looks an awful lot like work when you first start out. And don't be surprised if the first doors that God opens up may be low your perceived pay grade. But it's when we become faithful to that which He has placed in our hands that He brings increase. And when he finds you can be trusted with the toilet brush or the setting up of tables and chairs, you know he's not here so I can talk about him. Dave Robertson, I call him the chairman of Sierra Bible Church. He sets up those chairs and straightens them that you sit in every Sunday. And he offers it up as an offering unto the Lord. We've been called to service serve Christ and his kingdom and we do it by serving one another you need an inlet and you need an outlet and then I just want to this is at the bottom of your page too and we'll start drawing this to a close because I think we need to say this often in this study as we continue to study the spiritual disciplines this is from Richard Foster let us remember the purpose of the disciplines is freedom. 
And our aim is the freedom, not the discipline. The moment we make the discipline our central focus, we turn it into law. And we lose the corresponding freedom. This is kind of one of those little slippery slopes. You know, this is one of the Satan doesn't care which side of the horse we fall off of. Just as long as we fall off. These are avenues to freedom and life. They are not, do you see me, God? I am fasting. You know, Brad brought it out last week. You know, the, the Pharisees, you know, when they fasted, they put on the long face. They didn't wash their face. They dressed grubbily. You know, and everybody knew they were fasting. And Jesus said, when somebody comes up and says, brother, are, are you fasting? Yes, I am. And Jesus said, there's your reward, buster. In full. That pat on the back is it. And we got to be careful with the disciplines because it would, it's really easy to be doing them and then look over our shoulder to see if God's watching. And that's not what they're about. It's not another set of rules and regulations and law to follow. To spend time in his presence is to know him. To bring a greater sense of our walk with him, our service for him, rising from Mary to Martha. Times of solitude and silence aren't for him. They're for us. To hear his still small voice. And then Brad has talked about the fasting, the meditation. These things that are all meant to bring us into his presence and free us. They're not obligations. And I, I, I thank Brad for saying that. You cannot do these and still be a Christian. But I dare say that when you begin to practice them with an aim to get closer to him, you're going to find that they're liberating and they are life-giving. And they will open up doors not only into the heart of God, They'll open up doors of service to his church and to the community in which we live. Solitude and service. Two more of the disciplines. Here we find. Where are you going next week? Okay. For <laughs> solitude. <laughs> I didn't mean to put you on the spot, Brad. Yeah. Ooh. So next week uh, we will be working with study and confession. Study and confession. Is that kind of like we get in a box together and you say, "Father, forgive me, I have sinned." You bring in the box. Okay. Good. 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 I'm sure we're all looking forward to that one. <laughs> we got a couple minutes here. Any questions, any comments before we pray and go home? Yeah, isn't it amazing that it works that way? Yeah. yeah. And then God being uh, the balance, I really appreciated the community and solitude, and I broke down your balance by the way of God. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 
I preached a series of sermons years ago called Trustworthy Conduits, and that God is not looking for reservoirs, he's looking for conduits, men and women through whom he may flow, his gifts, his graces, his talents, his, his power. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, superconductors. He's not looking for reservoirs, and it's easy for us to become reservoirs. It's easy for a church to become reservoirs rather than just conduits through, through which he flows. You know, we've talked in our elders' meetings and whatnot. You know, one of the great temptations when you get a little extra money in the bank as a church is to sit on it. We're not called to sit on it. We're called to, to serve with it. And, and we know that God is honored, especially this ministry. You know, when I came here, in 1991, it was so far in debt it wasn't paying its local bills. And God freed us from that debt. And, and it, you know, the last many years we've been able to give 30% away of what comes in out of that resource that he's given. And again, it's an it's a inlet and outlet thing. And we need to understand that. And we don't want to get stingy and, and become, you know, kind of money grubbers with God's money because it is God's money. Are we called to be wise stewards? Absolutely, and he'll hold us accountable for that. But we're not meant to camp on it and put a, get a stock portfolio together with, a, with God's resources. You know, it, it, it comes and it goes. We should all be looking for our woman by the well. Yeah. You know, that opportunity to just minister and have the flow yep. to where we just forget Yeah. And we've got people in this room that are ministers and have ministered. You know, I've been called out of bed in the middle of the night and dragged my sorry carcass out of bed to go minister to somebody and, uh, you know, came back refreshed. I've gone to the pulpit that way where I've been sick. I don't even want to be there. It's a good day to stay home. And I'm refreshed, you know, while I am there. Uh, this week I had a day that I had to do something and I had told Sandy that uh, I wasn't really relishing doing it. But I came home at the end of the day and I said, that was ordered of God. Because in the last part of the day, things turned and it was a day of ministry that I did not see up front. I just saw, yeah, brother, okay, Lord, I'll do it. <laughs> and... Uh, too many times I've gone into it, okay, Lord, I'll do it, only to be surprised by the vitality that he gives in the middle of the doing. And you told me when I had to keep doing something, you say, it's such a small thing. And when God knows that you're reliable, and then he will give you. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. God will always increase our responsibility if we're faithful with that which he's put in our hands. It was in God's time, wasn't it? Amen. Amen. Remember Mary and Martha, solitude at the Savior's feet, and from there rise to the service that God would have for you as an individual. Father in heaven, I continually am left standing in awe that your ways are not rocket science. They're really pretty simple. Simple enough that a child can understand and come to faith and forgive us when as adults we, we're the ones that make it hard and make it complicated sometimes when it's still just as simple as would you make time to hang out in my presence and in that place find my call And my way to rise and go and do solitude and service. Opposite sides of the same coin. And we thank you for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>